Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. I'm back from my cross-country van trip, and it feels so good to have the PlayStation controller back in my hands. I missed it so much. And you know what else I missed? My favorite YouTuber and Days Gone expert, Spornicus Rex. So I figured I'd bring him back on the podcast. Hello, Rex. Hello, Days Gone podcast. How are we doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? A fan-fucking-tastic. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, you are such a great guest, and it's always a pleasure. Um, so today I want to talk to you about Boozer, because he is an integral part of the Days Gone story and of Deacon's arc. And I've wanted to do an episode on Boozer for a long time, uh, just because he's such an awesome character. And I have a lot of thoughts about him. So I figured that's something that we could we could talk through today. Uh, do you want to start with first impressions? What did you think of Boozer the first time you played the game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And actually, I think that is a fantastic topic for the podcast, just because Days Gone would not be the game, the fantastic experience that it is, if not for Jim Peary's work on the character Boozer. My first impression of Boozer and I absolutely mean this in like the highest possible praise. Okay. I'm not being sarcastic. This is the highest praise possible. Boozer is like a very loyal dog. Okay. And I know that's, you're calling him a dog. What the fuck? No, in the best way, because the best qualities of someone who's just so loyal that They've always got the best opinion of you. Your dog always has the highest opinion of you. Your dog would always see you as the best version of yourself, no matter what, you know, no matter, no matter what a shitty person you are, your dog is going to love you anyway, you know? And, and so that's, that was my first impression. He was like, like boozers, uh, like a Deacon's dog. Okay. But, but in the highest possible praise, not in a smart ass way. That is in, that's such a perfect way of putting is, it. Isn't that adorable? You know, it is. <laughs> but uh, but it's like he he's always there for you when you need a wingman, even if you're getting into trouble and doing something that you should not be doing. He's still there for you, you know. And and even like in the very first one of the earliest scenes when they go to uh, Crazy Willie's, and Boozer asks him, he's like, "Okay, how do you want to do this?" And I already know it's a bad idea, but how do you want to do this? <laughs> and you know, even though I know it's a bad idea, like. I'm here for you, man. Let's do this. And, mm -hmm. and that, that was my first impression of him was like in the highest possible praise. He's, he's like a really good dog. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, like you say, he's like a wingman. He, he definitely yeah. has Deacon's back. I mean, for me, I think my first impression, it, it wasn't, I didn't think quite as highly of Boozer as you did. And, and I didn't think bad of him. He just seemed a little bit like a cliche and maybe mm. it's, you know, not being a guy, like I didn't get that bro code kind of thing that they were giving off. I get it now, you yeah. know, having played the game multiple times and put so much thought into these characters and, and kind of knowing what they go through. But my first impression was, okay, here's the stereotype. Here's the cliched mm. character. The sidekick. The sidekick. Yeah. The biker doesn't really have much going on, you know, and so much of, of what you see 
in those first few hours when he's injured is his pride mm. getting in the way. Yeah. And it, it just seemed like, oh, come on, dude, stop being such a, you know, masculine man who can't admit when he's hurt. Like, it just seemed a little <laughs> over the top. <laughs> I, I can see that from your perspective now, you know, viewing it as, as the female perspective there. I, I can see that now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. But now, like I said, having played it a lot more, there is so much going on in his character. And like you say, he's such a likable guy. I think I didn't get why he was such a good guy at the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. cause he seems like the criminal type, you know, he's obviously, <laughs> <And> he is. <laughs> yeah. And he is, but he, <laughs> it seems like that's, that's the bulk of his personality and, you know, shame on me for jumping to conclusions, but that, that was just sort of the first impression I got. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, you know, like you said, you know, shame on you for your illusions or whatever that that's one of the things about days gone is that at first, at first glance, on the surface, it's it's kind of like a still pond or a still lake. You know, mm -hmm. you, you can't really tell how deep it is until you jump all the way in. You right. Know? And that, that's just how it is. At, at first, you can't tell that there's so much more depth until it pulls you all the way in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's the perfect metaphor for the game. My first impressions of the game was that it was going to be, you know, maybe 10 hours of fun zombie killing and <laughs> driving a motorcycle, like cool, right, right. whatever, who cares? It was just going to be filler until I got the next big obsession. Little did yeah. I know this was going to be the next big obsession, probably the biggest obsession of my life, really, <laughs> if I'm going <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> to date. <laughs> to date, yes. <laughs> so... Starting at the beginning with that scene, the the flashback scene, the opening scene in, in Farewell, Boozer doesn't get on the helicopter. He's injured. He doesn't get on the helicopter. Deacon doesn't want to leave Boozer behind, so he stays with him, and they've just put Sarah on the helicopter, and the two guys stay in Farewell against all better judgment. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like you're watching it, and you're like, guys, at least... One of you get on, or you've got a gun. Both get on. Who fucking tell that scientist to get off? And like you both to get like, who cares? Right. Yeah, get I didn't on think the about that. Helicopter. Yeah. Just snatch somebody else off of there. Oh, look, you've got room for more people now. Let's yeah. fucking go. <laughs> and also the right. idea that he knows how many they can take because they're already overweight. Like if you're already overweight on a helicopter, you ain't taking anyone. I, I yeah. think. I mean, I would assume. Right. Well, it you can it. Uh, the helicopter is capable of handling more weight, but it will affect the rate of fuel consumption. So you add to the weight and you're going to be burning fuel faster. You may not have enough fuel to reach right. your destination. But so, so there is that. that. They're really not going far. Right. Yeah. You know, we know in game, it's really not that far, but it's, I guess in that situation, you don't want to be short on fuel. That's like the major theme of Days Gone, uh, yes, right? True. Don't let yeah, yourself yeah. get short on fuel. <laughs> Especially if you're in a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they kind of, you know, it, it's bad when they run out of fuel. Really mm -hmm. bad. Uh, but yeah, you know, I had the same thought. I was like, okay, Boozer and Sarah are both injured. They both have serious injuries. Uh, you know, Boozer's injury wasn't as life-threatening. It was what, like a gunshot wound in his leg or something? Did it, was some, it was like a gash anything? in his leg. I mean, it shows in the cutscene. He's got like a, a pretty serious laceration on his leg, but I don't know if he was grazed by a bullet or cut or whatever, but he's got a, a fairly serious laceration mm -hmm. on his leg. And he's so limping. You, and he's limping. He's having difficulty getting around. So you have two injured people 
And this helicopter equipped with medics has room for two people. And Deacon being in otherwise great health, you know, and fully capable of getting himself out of town to meet up with them later, he should have put Boozer and Sarah on the chopper. Now, Boozer wouldn't have gone. He, no, dude, I'm sticking with you. You know, I'm, I'm going to help you get out of town, even though Boozer's the one that's hurt. But what would have seemed better to me, I guess, you know, maybe you're in the moment. You don't always make the best decisions. You know, we're, we're armchair quarterbacking it, you know, years later. But, <laughs> yeah. but in the moment, you know, you, you would think like, okay, Boozer, brother, I need you to help me keep my wife safe. Get on there, get yourself patched up, and you keep her safe until I can meet back up with y'all. That's the line. That's all you have to say. I need you with her to keep her safe. It's not for you. I'm not worried about your leg. I need you keeping her safe for me until I meet back up with y'all. And it's that simple. And then Deacon gets himself out of out of the town, meets up with them, or tracks them down wherever. And Boozer has been, uh, you know, protecting her, helping to protect her through all the other shit that went down. Perfect scenario, or better scenario. But you know that Boozer wouldn't take that. He wouldn't take that spot. No, not unless it was, you got to sell it right. It's, mm-hmm. I need you with her to protect her until I can meet up with y'all. Take care of her for me until I can meet up with y'all. Keep her yeah. safe for me. You know, from that perspective, they probably would have. Like, oh, Deacon needs me. Okay, I'm there for you, brother. I got this. Yeah, I suppose there, there could be a way you could sell it. I just, I think that Boozer, he's the only one who recognizes the love that they have. Remember, he's the only one who shows up to their wedding. True. The the MC basically doesn't want anything to do with it. And, you know, obviously we know Sarah's family disowned her. So he's yeah. the one who gets, these are two people that belong together. I don't think there's any scenario in which he could be convinced to get on the helicopter taking Deacon's spot. He hmm. would insist to the end that it's Deacon and Sarah have to stay together. Okay. Well, you may be right. And we know Deacon wouldn't have gone for that because <laughs> he <laughs> he knew that Boozer was going to need help getting out of town. Right. And you that's know, his so. brother. Yeah. Hmm, okay. So, I mean, it's as much as, like you say, we can, uh, what is it? What's the phrase? Armchair quarterback it from, you, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> years after the facts. I think the way it played out is the only way it could go. Hmm, okay. I always figured it was more of a plot device. Like, look, this is just how we did it. Deal with it. <laughs> Let's get to the yeah. next part of the story. You know, <laughs> I, mean, like, it, I mean, and, and I can live with that, you know. It does feel like that, but that's the thing. It feels like that at the beginning because you you don't know the depth of their relationship, their friendship, yeah. this, this brotherhood that they have. Like you say, he's, Boozer is, in the best way, a loyal dog. And Deacon is for Boozer as well. So oh, yeah. they're never going to leave each other. Yeah. Even for Sarah. I mean, if there were three spots, then great. If there were no spots, then great. They all stick together. Yeah. But when there's only two spots, I mean, maybe there's a, they could have, Deacon and Boozer could have gotten the helicopter and left Sarah behind, but I don't think that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. That yeah I, I don't think they're quite that close. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like your idea the best. As far as armchair quarterbacking, I like your idea the best so far. They should have snatched some other asshole off of there and be like, oh, look, you've got room for three people now. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Or just being like, <laughs> fuck it, we'll take the chance on the fuel. Let's just go. Let's just yeah. put three of us on there and go. Yeah. So what I have next in my notes that that I was thinking, it was what, what was on my mind while we're thinking about Boozer's character. 
the way that Boozer would continuously kind of scold Deacon for going up to Sarah's memorial mm-hmm. and for, you know, because it makes him really angry and reckless, uh, makes him do dangerous, stupid stuff. Every time he goes up there, he starts getting in that mood, you know, and at first I really didn't get that. I didn't get Boozer scolding him uh, because I mean, Deacon is grieving. You have to let him grieve in his own way. Now, sure. He needed to keep his head on straight and not be so reckless because, you know, the world that they're in is very dangerous. You need to keep your head about you and keep your wits about you. But nobody, nobody gets to decide how they process grief Mm -hmm. and nobody has any control over how long they grieve that you can't set a limit or a deadline on that. And it's only been two years Mm -hmm. and only two years and he had lost his wife with no closure. You know, it's, there was no closure whatsoever. There's just, there's nothing but despair, you know, and, and two years is nothing for him grieving the loss of the love of his life. So I really thought it was really insensitive of Boozer to be scolding him and getting on to him for, for grieving in his own way. And it's not till later when, they get to crazy willies deacon is out of his fucking mind being completely reckless and and you know over the top aggressive and reckless and it ends up getting boozer hurt and boozer gets hurt bad it's serious life-threatening injury and that was the moment where i realized i was oh man deacon does need to get his head out of his ass and and get his (laughs) shit together you know okay okay boozer you're right man he's he's being fucking dangerous and he's got to get it together. And so at at first I thought it was really insensitive of Boozer to be that way. But then I realized, man, you're right. You've got a point. This, this is serious business and he needs to be taking it seriously. I felt exactly the same when you said it, it, that Boozer was being insensitive Mm -hmm. and, and like pushing him. I was like, I think that maybe is what rubbed me a little bit the wrong way with him Mm. at the beginning. Not that I disliked Boozer. I just didn't, have any reason to feel sympathy or to to empathize with him or to really see him as anything other than a plot device because that's kind of how he feels in those first couple hours but that scene in the tunnel the first tunnel you have to clear and deacon walks point with the shotgun and you see that moment where i mean boozer himself says you got a death wish mm-hmm. and it calls him i think reckless or or whatever and you do you see that sort of that fire in Deacon's eyes, that that vengeance yeah. that he wants, that mm-hmm. rage, and yeah. he just rage. wants to yeah. burn the whole fucking world because he's just angry, mm-hmm. and that is not going anywhere. And you're like, whoa, okay, I get the grieving process, but to be angry for two years in a very dangerous world yeah. is not a good place. And that's like, you know, he really wasn't grieving properly he was Mm -hmm. just he was allowing that rage to keep him from feeling the grief yeah that's the thing that i love it it was more of a defense mechanism than it was a a a a grieving process yeah it's not about healing and and Mm. processing yeah that's what i was looking for it's about staying in one place and that place being anger that's what deacon and that's that is what really kind of hooks my heart about the story is the the and i've said this on a on another episode deacon's unwillingness to let himself grieve that resistance Uh, to it that really just grabs my heart and squeezes 
and it just ah oh, every time i think about it i get emotional and i'm just like <laughs> i fucking love this game i love this yeah. story and i love right. there's just something cool about about the way it explores that very very specific moment of an emotion yeah yeah and that cutscene you know and and really that just goes for me it, it goes not just into john garvin's uh, talent for writing and telling a story, but Sam Witwer's acting because, oh, you know, yeah. he, he did pretty much all the motion capture mm -hmm. for uh, Deacon. So his acting and his, and, and all it is, it's, it's a motion capture suit and his voice. And that's really all we have, but to put so much energy and so much emotion into those two things so that we can feel it coming through in the game. It's just fucking yeah. incredible casting, you know. It it is. It blows my mind every time I watch the cutscenes. I just love the the micro expressions, the mm -hmm. tiny little movements, the body language. The body language just sells it, and then the nuance in the voice. The way when a line is delivered, you know the actor had two choices. They could either bring it up and be you know loud and angry, or they can bring mm -hmm. it down and they yeah. can just be. And make it sincere Sad and melancholy and sincere. And there's there's some cool moments. There's a scene with O'Brien that springs to mind when the, he finds out some information about Sarah, but then is like, no, she's she's definitely dead. That other camp she was taken to was overrun. That and one see, also oh, got overran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, because you know, at that scene. point, Deacon was getting his hopes up. You know, he was already kind of getting his hopes up. Like, no, wait, maybe. And so, mm -hmm. Oh shit! No, that camp was overrun too. Yeah. Mm, that was so good. Uh, speaking of, of excellent acting, so the one scene in particular between Deacon and Boozer that I actually want to play every fucking time I watch the scene, I just I, I'm amazed by the acting. It is incredible. So I'm gonna hit play on this. We're gonna take a listen. Hey, how'd it go? Oh, what go? You know, goddamn what? Your guy in the spacesuit. What'd he say? Oh, it doesn't matter. Hey, come on, goddamn it, <sighs> Boozer. You really don't want to be doing that right now. Oh, yeah? You think I need more than this to take down your scrawny little ass? Come on, what'd he say? Drop it. Seriously, what happened to Sarah? Huh? Where's your old lady? Where's your old lady? Huh? Stay down, brother. Had enough? Where's your old lady, Deke? She's dead, Boozer. Sarah's dead. Yeah, and she's been dead a long time. So don't you think that you mourned her long enough? Oh, God. I think. I think that you have a hell of a left hook, asshole. Oh. Yeah, it's the only move I got. <laughs> I gotta get my sorry ass back to work. Camping gonna feed itself. Okay. It's the only move I got. Still, I tagged your ass with it three times in a row. Fucking shameful. <laughs> I love that scene. Yes, that's one of my favorites too. And and I can totally relate to that myself mm -hmm. because I mean, like I have an older brother, uh, and you know, I mean, okay, so growing up, we. We got into, you know, throw down, knock down, drag out fights a few times, you know, and it's just one of those things. It's I, I know exactly where they're both coming from in that moment, you know. 
yeah, and it goes back to what we've talked to, uh, what we've talked about before, with how all of the characters have such a unique point of view. They all have somewhere they're coming from, and yeah. in this scene, you see the two points of view, like in you know, in contrast to each other, and yeah. each of them has a thing they're trying to say. And I really think. <sighs> I think part of that was a tactical decision on Boozer's part because he knew that Deacon needed one of two things. He needed to either get a little aggression out or he needed to get his ass kicked. One of one of those <laughs> things would make him put the brakes on mm-hmm. and get a reality check and be like, okay, all right, I got some bad news, but you know what? We're going to keep on keeping on and you know we'll deal with things as they come. But I think Boozer kind of instigated that and kept escalating the tension until it resulted in Deacon getting knocked on his ass and getting a bit of a reality check. You know, right? It's also there's an interesting thing that's dropped in there. There's the reference to Boozer's old lady not being mm-hmm. around, and which mm, in the moment that was you, such a dick move. Yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah, in the but in the moment you don't fully understand what's been said. Because yeah. you don't know. It's the first time that you've ever... You know, where's your old of, lady? Yeah, yeah you, you never thought of, oh, does Boozer have an old lady? Like, right. where is she? Like, right. is he just, I don't know, saying something uh, saying something dumb as a comeback because he doesn't have anything better? Or, as you find out later, it has meaning. Yeah. Because you find out in the, uh, the drunk Boozer sequence... Mm-hmm. That you know, Boozer had a wife, and he, you know, she died, and he. So Boozer is someone who knows what it is like, not only to grieve, but to grieve the death of your old lady. Yeah, yeah, and and really, you know, that goes into something else. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that goes into something else I wanted to bring up uh, about the backstory on Boozer's wife, Joni. Mm-hmm. Now, when I did like my very first playthrough of Days Gone. I went through and I got all the collectibles and I did everything and I read all the all the backstories and everything but that was that was over a year ago and several playthroughs ago and I don't remember all of the details I remember that you know Boozer had a wife that he he absolutely adored and loved dearly and lost her under you know uh uh, traumatic incident, uh, a, a car wreck or something like that. But I didn't remember the details of it. And while I was reviewing my notes and doing research for tonight's podcast, I came across the full backstory. And if, if you don't mind, I want to read this. It's just the brief, like the character collectible. Yeah, and go ahead. This is about Boozer's wife, Joni, which I also didn't know she has an actual grave in the old Pioneer Cemetery that you can visit in game. I didn't I did know that either. Know. I found yes, that out doing there. research. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's just a fucking amazing detail, man. Uh, but okay. So here it is. Unfortunately, one night while the two were riding Boozer's motorcycle along Highway 97, they were struck by an oncoming driver who was heavily under the influence of alcohol. Joni was killed on impact while Boozer and the occupants of the other vehicle were largely unharmed. Enraged. Boozer murdered the intoxicated driver and his passengers in an act of retaliation for his wife's death. Members of the motorcycle club were called to the scene and arrived before the police. Boozer's best friend, Deacon St. John, had to physically drag him from the scene as they were forced to leave Joni's body behind. They later provided Boozer with an alibi 
sparing him from being convicted of manslaughter. Is that is that accurate? That's straight off the wiki. I, I don't remember finding that in my playthroughs. Yeah, is that in like so, is that in the art book or something? Or so in the art book. Let me pull it up. Hang on. The stuff about killing the other driver. I don't yeah, believe. Where does, it, where does that here. come from? Yeah, I think the wiki. You're looking at the wiki online, right? The Days Gone mm-hmm. wiki. Mm-hmm. That seems to have some extra info that I haven't been able to verify. There's a few things that I find on there mm. that I'm like, wait, where is that from? Like, I totally um, believe it, and I think it's fucking badass. You know, I could just imagine Boozer just ripping these guys out of the wreckage and just beating them to fucking death. You know? Yeah. God, God damn, dude. See, you know, in so the- I, I don't know that it's true though. In the art book, it contradicts that. So it says, before the world ended, we learn his wife Joni was killed in a bike accident. She and Mm -hmm. Boozer were on a drunken joyride near Crater Lake Highway when Boozer lost control of the bike and put it down. The MC came and got him, but Joni was dead. The MC forced Boozer away so he wouldn't be charged with manslaughter, but that meant leaving her on the side of the road until the accident was spotted many hours later. So that way he didn't get charged for like the reckless endangerment, you know, driving while intoxicated, stuff right. like that. And and which kind of, you know, that may be part of the guilt that he feels is that he never faced justice for his mm-hmm. mistakes. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. And, and that sounds closer to what I remember. Uh, does this, this, this right off the wiki, you know, but I'm, God, it's a badass story though. You know, it's like, I kind of like this version better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's also an interesting similarity between Deacon's, you know, grieving for his wife and Boozer's mm, grieving for his wife, the yeah. idea of, of them dying alone or, yeah. or, or you not being there with them. Like the idea of having yeah. to leave the body seems so cold and so callous and and just would really hurt your heart and you know deacon obviously choosing to not get on the helicopter leaving sarah to her fate alone is kind of the same thing they they yeah. you know mirror each other that is interesting yeah i never yeah. noticed the i never really i guess caught the similarity there but yeah i completely agree let's talk about the drunk boozer sequence while we're on the the subject so we have that whole um, little sequence where Boozer obviously is dealing with the loss of his arm and kind of what that means for his identity and, and um, he's having a really hard time with it. And he, Deacon comes back into camp and learns that Boozer's got drunk and wandered off. Yeah. And like he knows that it's something bad is going to happen. So I'm going to play the scene right now where he he learns that fact. Where's Boozer? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I thought he was with you. Yeah, he was, and then he he took off. Some shit. Excuse me, what the fuck are you telling me? Get off me! Look, he grabbed a bottle of whiskey, he said he was going home. I don't know. Motherfucker, and you didn't even try to stop him, did you? Hey! We tried! You gotta know when to cut a man loose. You gotta know when a man's done. You gotta know when a man's done. What a line. Fuck Schizo. (laughs) I mean, you knew I had to have some reason to bring Schizo back into this episode. Right? But but it's interesting because, I mean, yeah, sure, fuck Schizo. But you, it's kind. He again, as always, as as I end up defending Schizo every single time, he kind of does have a point. 
you know, Boozer is at arguably a point of no return. Obviously, you find out that Deacon is the only one who can bring him back from that. But I think yeah. if anyone else tried, they would fail. Boozer is suicidal. He's he's done. He's oh yeah yeah. Ready. Nobody could have brought him back from that broken road. You know, nobody could have brought him back from there aside from Deacon. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, there's an interesting theory that um, one of our fans, and I say one of our fans because he's a, a fan of yours first and has kind of, I borrowed him as a fan of the podcast, <laughs> Aussie626. Yeah, uh, man. He posted a really good theory on Reddit that got me thinking. He suggested <laughs> that maybe Schizo was the one that gave Boozer the whiskey in the first place. And he said, and I quote, you give a depressed one-armed man a bottle of whiskey and set him loose to wander off by himself during the zombie apocalypse, and you pretty much signed his death warrant. If I was Schizo, I'd have even made sure Boozer took a good few hits from the bottle before I let him go home. And that was in a conversation about Schizo sort of engineering a lot of the deaths that happen and a lot of the bounties that you take on, basically just getting rid of people that are in his way or that see through him, Boozer being one of them. I think it's a really, really good point. I think it's fucking brilliant, actually. I think it's fucking brilliant. I'd never thought of that. And I don't believe there's anything in game that backs that theory up, except what we know about Schizo and his, you know, his MO of disposing of people that he sees as annoying, Mm -hmm. weak, or too strong. You know, either somebody who's too weak to keep in the camp because they can't do anything for the camp or like anybody Lisa. who's right. Or even somebody who's too strong to have around the camp because they won't be, you know, they won't be bowled over by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I think that is absolutely fucking brilliant. And I remember I, I read that post um, and I remember he mentions uh, how Schizo would have had a line ready, you know, okay, let's say you give Boozer this bottle, and it's exactly what he needed. Just go burn off some steam, you know, catch a good buzz, relax a little bit, and, and you come back to camp like, okay, I, I'm better, guys. Let me get over my hangover, and I'm better, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Schizo would have had a line ready for that about, you know, oh, well, you know, I just, I thought he needed some help to burn off some steam, you know, so I helped him out. I got him a bottle. And the flip side of that, if Boozer, you know, goes out there and gets eaten by a horde, then Schizo would, of course, be, I don't know shit about that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, I don't know anything about what bottle of liquor. I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think either way, you know, he would have had a line ready. And it's that's one of those little details. You know, maybe that's cut content that was supposed to be there all along. But, you know, we never got to see it uh, proven in game. Perfect. Just typical schizo. Uh, it just <laughs> it's it's so great that, I, you know, saying the same thing I said before. There's so much going on in this game with all of these characters. Yep. So deep and so nuanced that almost any theory you come up with that's reasonable, hell, it might be true, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the final showdown and how Boozer, mm-hmm. you know, he goes through his whole arc, surviving isn't living, you know, finding finding his reason to live, finding his 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 identity again. And then once he's done that, you know, Deacon has the whole big showdown with the militia coming up he knows he needs to go back and get sarah and of course boozer loyal to the end i'm gonna help Mm -hmm. you brother i'm with you wingman perfect wingman he is so committed to the mission and just never even questions it yeah right 
like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. yeah. So bef- before we move to that though, one thing real quick about the, the drunken boozer uh, storyline where he makes it to the end of the road and there's the horde there and Deacon has to go down there and, you know, they, he uses the line, you know, Hey, is this, is this how we're going out? Right. Cause, cause yeah. I, I, we're going together, you know, g- grab, let me grab a bottle. Let, let's go, you know, let's do this. This is how we're going out. And then he manages to get boozer on the back of the bike. And the mission there is to race back to lost Lake and get boozer back to camp. Uh, so he can sleep off his hangover. During that mission, have you ever let the horde follow you all the way back to Lost Lake? Yeah, I thought that was going to be a good idea. It was not. <laughs> and it is not a good idea. <laughs> it does not work out as planned. Because yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can lead hordes to the camps. I do it up at the farm, that one that's uh, oh, yeah, up yeah. the feeding ground up by the farm. Mm-hmm. You can the lead river that. flow farm, uh, river flow farm horde or something, I think. Yeah, and you can lead them over to the farm, and the guys on the the little gun towers, they'll take out that horde for you. That's great. But you lead the the boozer horde to Lost Lake, (laughs) and you just get overrun. If you don't make it in time, they don't even let you in. Right, they'll shut the gate on you. Yeah, Yeah, they're just like, (laughs) nope. Like, yeah, well, you guys didn't make it. Sorry. (laughs) And then what you do is you, you go through, when they do let you in, you go through the gate, and the horde just, like, climbs up. And get swarms the around the gate, and everything. And you can't get off the bike. I wanted to get off the bike shit. and help them. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. sitting there with Boozer watching everybody die. <laughs> <laughs> and because you're on a mission where you've got a passenger, you can't pull your sidearm either. Right. So you can't fire your sidearm. You can't get off the bike. Literally, all you can do is just kind of drift around in circles. And and there's only one guy in the tower who's actually firing his weapon, actually doing his job. You've got another cat standing off by the infirmary that's just standing over there literally smoking a fucking cigarette. <laughs> and then you've got another one that's just kind of walking around doing nothing. And it's like and they one, didn't they didn't design the game for for dumbasses right, you know, like us to try that out. <laughs> They're yeah, like, no, no, no. The, you'll either get eaten by the horde you or you'll make it. I think they did plan for that. And here's why I say so because who's in charge of security at that camp? Ah, Schizo. Schizo is in charge of security for that camp. And notice how the security kind of sucks. <laughs> but you got you got one fucking guy who's actually doing his job and everybody else is probably like Schizo's buddies. They're they're the people that Schizo had talked to about taking over the camp and mm-hmm. taking the camp away from Iron Mike. So he's he's maneuvered the security staff there at Lost Lake to mostly be his buddies who are tight with him. But there's one fucking guy who's actually on the team and, and willing to protect the camp and do the job. And that's why he's there. So I, you know, obviously I'm making this shit up as I go, but it sounds reasonable, right? Well, no, there's, there's evidence to back it up. You know where the security is really good? Where? Around Schizo's house. You ever tried to get into Schizo's cabin? Yeah, I uh, I did see that on Reddit the other day, but I had never noticed that personally. Once once he's free from the cabin, there's still there's still soldiers no, no. there. No, before way before that. Anytime you arrive mm. at Lost Lake, go to Schizo's house, and there's at least three guys guarding the doors. No and when shit. you walk up, they're like, "What do you want? What are you doing here?" No shit. Yeah, they give you attitude. They do not want you there. Uh-huh. And it's like there are more guards around Schizo's house than there are around than the around the f- around the fucking <laughs> perimeter. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I will definitely have to check that out. So I did learn something new today. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do with it. They just give you the line yeah. and then you move on, and yeah. it's like you you can't still, interact with them. Um, it's a cool little detail, nonetheless. Yeah. 
All right. So there's two ways to look at this. You know, on the one hand, I am so glad this story was not written by George R.R. Martin. Because <laughs> <laughs> Boozer wouldn't have made it, man. You know, you, you have to have that one sacrificial death so that, you know, so that the other main character can survive. And, I'm sorry, and, but if George R.R. Martin had written this, Boozer would have died a long time ago. A long time ago, yeah. yeah <laughs> they all right. would have, Sarah would be dead, Deacon would be dead. <laughs> Yeah, who fucking knows right, what character right, yeah. we'll be following? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and 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 Schizo gets to be king <laughs> <laughs> for a little while until he gets poisoned. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah. So I mean, there's there's the one side of it there where one perspective is that oh man, this is so fucking cliche. He managed to live. Really, how did he survive that? That's ridiculous. That's just cliche. But the other side of it would be. I think it would be kind of cliche if they had killed him, you know, because I mean, that's that's what you expect in a gritty, you know, realistic kind of post-apocalyptic story. Yeah. You kind of expect at least somebody's got to die. The and martyr, I feel, the honorable self-sacrifice absolutely. for the greater absolutely. good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, Deacon is able to find and free his wife from the militia, but at what cost? You know, at the cost of his best friend, his brother. Uh, You know, so and I get, you know, sure, that's one perspective that would have been one cliche, but I I think it's really much better that they went with the decision to let him live because it, you know, I mean, why not have a happy ending? We fucking a fought for it. You know, Deacon fought hard enough to get there, you know, and and have a, a, a positive resolution at the end of the story. Yeah. So I, I, I'm glad they went with that cliche and not the other cliche. Same. (laughs) I mean, I, I did think it was a bit of a cliche that he survived um, but you're right. It would have been a cliche had he not survived. Like either yeah. way, either way, mm-hmm. the idea that he had to be in the truck to deliver the thing, it was kind of uh, stupid. Yeah. It, it's, it's similar <laughs> to the helicopter scene where you can yeah. you can make a reason for it, but it's really essentially just a plot device. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about Boozer's battle with depression. I just thought of something else. You mentioned him driving the truck. And I think it's... <laughs> It's so it's so cool. Ricky was able to fashion a prosthetic arm for Boozer from a fucking ice cream scoop <laughs> so that he could drive yes. a big rig and and you drive the truck to deliver the bomb. And it's it's got a prosthetic arm made out of a fucking ice cream scoop, man. Surely they could rig up either a modified trike style motorcycle and or a modified prosthetic for his mm-hmm. arm that would allow him to pilot a motorcycle again. Yeah. Because it, it's that moment where Deacon brings Boozer's bike back. And it's one of those, you know how sometimes you do something really nice for somebody you really care about and it kind of backfires and actually just kind of ruins things, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how it is. You know, Deacon, he goes through all this trouble to bring the bike back and get it there. And he, and, and at first, Boozer's like, holy shit, man, you brought me my bike. Dude, that's so awesome. And then he's like, wait a minute. I can't ride it. Yeah. This is a, this is a big fucking paperweight that's just staring at me, <laughs> reminding me of what I can't enjoy anymore. Yeah. You know? Reminding me of who I was and who I, who, who who I, I am prided and, myself and, on being. Yep. And who I can't ever be again. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think it, I just think it would have been cool. You know, uh, Ricky is clearly very good at uh, improvising. So I think if she could make him a, a prosthetic arm out of a fucking ice cream scoop so that he can drive a big rig, surely they can get the parts together to modify a trike 
and get him a prosthetic that would allow him to operate the controls of the yeah. bike. Got to be. Because, I mean, we have now I know it's it's an apocalypse. Parts are hard to come by. You know, crafting materials are hard to come by, whatever. But that's technology that exists right now. There there are amputee survivors who ride fucking motorcycles, you know. It's totally possible. Yeah, I and mean, you could you could just modify the bike so he doesn't need to use his right hand. Exactly. Know, whichever's easier, either modify his prosthetic or modify the bike. Or some combination of the two, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever makes it doable, you know. Yeah. You with know the parts what, they're able to get. You know what else just occurred to me? What the What's bike that? represents? It's in addition to it representing the man that Boozer was who he can never be again, it also represents his failure in his mission to save Deke. Because his whole thing is, we're going to ride north. Ah. And now we can't ride anymore. How is he going to get Deacon north? Yeah, right, right. Huh, okay. I didn't really see that. I was kind of seeing the connection, once you mentioned going deeper with that, I, I was seeing the connection of, that's also Boozer's last connection to Joni. Oh, when they used to ride yeah. Together. Yeah. So that's just another moment where he's like, you know, fuck, this is just a big paperweight. This is nothing but a reminder of the man I used to be and will never be again and things that I used to have in my life that I will never have in my life again. Fucking hell. You know what? Boozer gets the short end of the stick throughout this whole story. Now I think about it, you know, his story and Deacon's story are kind of mirror images or, or sort of mirror very opposites. similar. Yeah. They're, they're similar in the way of like, you know, losing losing your your loved one and dealing with the grief and the processing all of that and then you know deacon gets to process it in various different ways and move through it and find his wife again and you know and and yeah. gets to get an awesome motorbike uh cuz you know you do all the upgrades and everything and boozer still doesn't have his wife yeah. loses his arm loses his ability to ride He's like, fucking, almost kills himself. I mean, sure, he gets thanks for that, but like, he doesn't really come out any better at the end of it, whereas Deacon obviously gets everything that he wanted. Yeah. And Deacon has women throwing themselves at him the whole time, too. Oh, oh my God. Hey, (laughs) hey Deke, stay safe out there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Come back more often. (laughs) My favorite bounty hunter. Yes, yes. So I you guess know, I guess we my first playthrough I, I didn't pick up on all I mean I kind of did a little uh, bit but I didn't cuz you know as a God, woman How could you miss it? Well, I I don't really listen to what the bounty uh what are they called the bounty collectors the the yeah, you know yeah. the people in the kitchen the merchants I didn't really put much time into listening to them so I guess I just didn't didn't think about it. And then I get on Reddit and everyone's like, oh my God, Blair is totally throwing herself at Deacon and oh, also yeah. Jesse. And <laughs> I'm just like, wait, who are these people? Who's Blair? Who Who's Jesse? People? What the fuck? <laughs> I'm actually on my current playthrough taking photos of all of those kinds of people, all of them, the oh, little okay, non playable yeah. characters, the merchants, mm-hmm. just people you find. Like, I got a great photo of this guy in, in Lost Lake just chopping wood. You know, just okay. like random people. Some random dude, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's really fun. And you kind of oh, like yeah. get to think of like their stories. Like those guys who are sitting in, in the little gazebo playing guitar. You know, you get to think yeah. about the stories and it makes it feel like these are real people with real backstories that mm-hmm. really have a position in this world and have their own things that they yearn for. Absolutely. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, the guy who plays those songs, you know, he's a, 
an actual musician that I, I believe, damn, now I'm trying to, I'm struggling to recall details, but he's, he was like a member of the Bend team and is also a oh, musician. I didn't know that. Uh, God, what is that kid's name? Uh, I, if it wouldn't take you, but just a moment to research it, if you're interested in looking into it, but yeah, the, the person who plays those songs that they're performing in Lost Lake at the little gazebo there, uh, that's, that's a member of the Ben team and he is an actual musician. He plays in a band and stuff. So yeah, oh. that, that was some of his work. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Again, millions of little details that you wouldn't notice if you weren't looking for it, you know? Right. Well, I would have loved to have had Jim Perry, who plays Boozer, on the podcast, but unfortunately, he is a really busy man. Um, but I did reach out to him, and he was wonderfully gracious and gave me the opportunity to ask him a question. Uh, Rex, out of the two of us, who do you think has the better voice to read his response? Uh, you. <laughs> um, <laughs> how about no? I'll read my question, and then do you want to read the response that he sent me? Sure. Cool. So my question was, Boozer seems on the surface to be a tough, prideful guy, but we learned there's more to him than meets the eye. How did you approach bringing him to life and giving us insight into his deeper layers? And how much fun did you have doing it? All right. So I, I think it's fantastic that Mr. Peary took the time to respond to that question and, and send you uh, an actual detailed answer here. And this is Jim Peary's response to that question. So as far as Boozer goes, I couldn't have had a better and more fun time playing him. Seriously. I loved so much about him as a character. His loyalty, his courage, his silly sense of humor, his love of dogs, his willingness to fight for what is right and to protect others. Yet doing so as a flawed individual who dealt with struggles in his past, like drinking, as part of a motorcycle club, shall we say, not being a choir boy, and present, coming to terms with being disabled, and not being able to do certain things he used to do that also defined who he was. He was a wonderfully layered, yet straightforward character that John Garvin wrote, and I was honored to play. Honored, because he's the kind of person I wish I were. I have some of his qualities but not nearly to the extent that he does. To prepare for him, basically, I just had to imagine I was a much better version of myself, the kind of guy I wish I were. It was fun and felt so good. I also got to pull on my deep Colorado roots a bit in terms of his down-to-earth sensibility and love of the outdoors and absolutely needing to be there, especially when he was sidelined into the camp. I'm also lucky enough to have a few really, really good friends who go way back that would do anything for me and vice versa. Basically, they are ride or die in their own way. And that helped me tap into that quality as well. Boozer is definitely one of my all-time favorite characters, and I will always look fondly on both the experience of playing him and how proud I am of the finished game. It's the only game of mine that I've played through twice. The experience was so much fun, partly because of the amazingly talented group of people I was working with, acting-wise, as well as the incredible, badass wizards of Bend Studios and Sony, some of whom I'm still friends with to this day. But it was also fun because I got to pretend 
that I was in a post-apocalyptic world riding motorcycles and killing freakers. I mean, come on. Professionally, it doesn't get better than that. Thank you, Mr. Peary. It was so nice of him to take the time to write all of that out. It was an incredible response. And uh, I hope that he's listening to this episode and that he knows how much love there is for him, how everyone fucking loves Boozer and just everyone's blown away by his acting and how he brought Boozer to life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting. He really hit the nail on the head there because just like, just like I, my first impression of Boozer was that he's that guy who sees the best version of the people that he loves, you know, he sees the the best version of you. And that's very similar to what Jim Peary says as far as how he had to get into that character was he had to see the best version of himself. And that was how he became, how he got in character to play Boozer. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was my favorite thing out of what he said, because uh, Boozer's done some pretty terrible things. And it's, you know, it, it's made really clear, though, that he is a good guy. He might be a drunk. He might be quick to use his fists. He might be involved in all sorts of criminal activity. <laughs> but he's a man with a conscience and a code. Yeah. The best yeah. friend you could ever have. The best friend you could ever have. All right. Before we wrap up, can you remind us about your live stream? Yeah, yeah. So I do at least one live stream a week, uh, Saturday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. U.S. Central Standard Time or U.S. Dallas Time. We're currently doing The Last of Us Part 2, uh, but every Saturday night I'll be streaming from 8 to 10 as often as I can for as long as I can. And it's so much fun. I love watching your live streams. I and enjoy it. I mean, you're also doing um, occasional cyberpunk live streams yeah yeah I, i've actually i'm honestly kind of surprised at how how well i am enjoying cyberpunk 2077 and i've just i've been playing it so much that i'm like well shit i might as well be streaming it you know when i've got time so yeah uh, every, I, i'm trying to increase the number of streams that i do uh you know just kind of ramp it up a little bit well there's one thing i wanted to mention and i'm british so i have a hard time talking about Money, it's not something we like to discuss or, God forbid, ask for. But a friend of mine told me that tipping and donating is really a part of streaming culture. And they suggest that I set up a way to accept tips because I've been doing some live streams too, inspired by you, Spornicus. Yeah. Um, and so I'm now on Buy Me a Coffee, which is a site, if you don't know, where you can throw a little money in the tip jar, so to speak. And it's all presented in this way like you're buying a coffee for someone. And there's also, there's membership levels if you want to make a, a regular monthly donation. Now, the other cool thing about Buy Me A Coffee is we're going to be selling merch on there soon. I don't want to say too much too soon, uh, but everyone is really going to love it. And I want to give a very, very special shout out to Anthony from the Weird Crew podcast, who very generously bought me a coffee today. You might remember him from episode seven. Yeah, came on the I podcast. do recall. Yeah, it was your first live guest, wasn't it? He was, yeah. yeah. Um, so my first live guest and also the first person to buy me a coffee. So I feel right super on. humbled. He is such a cool guy and his podcast is just amazing. It's this incredible kind of uh, mishmash of topics, but it all seems to make sense together. It completely runs the gamut. And he has a Halloween episode coming up that's 
all about spooky stories that people have send in, sent in. And one of the stories is actually going to be by me. About oh, how nice. I, you got to write a story for him. Well, it's a true story about how I okay. got into paranormal investigating, which is something that I do on the side when I'm not playing Days Gone, which these days, honestly, is never. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, you know, it's it's a re- I it's a really spooky story and it still gives me chills to think about it. And it is all, I promise you, 100% true. So cool. okay. you should you should check it out. It's going to be, I think the episode comes out probably on Halloween. I'm not entirely sure, but hopefully it comes out uh, in the and, next week. Now, what is the name of his podcast again? His podcast is the Weird Crew Podcast. The Weird and Crew you, Podcast. Yeah, okay. and you can find it on you know iTunes and podcast apps and Spotify and yada, 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 all the usual. All the places you can find this podcast, you can find yeah. his. Nice. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know that that little bit of just even the little donations. I just today on one of my live streams, I had a longtime friend, somebody I actually grew up with, uh, made and and it seemed like a small, insignificant donation, but it bought my lunch today. So Aww. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's just something that it it helps to justify the amount of time that we put into these passion projects of ours. Yeah, and getting and something the- back out of it. Also the cost. I mean, I don't know about live streaming, but you know, you've got you've got equipment you buy, you know, microphones. True. I have to pay for hosting for the podcast and I pay for Zencaster, oh, which is how I record these interviews. I did not realize that was a paid service. Yeah. So you have actual overhead costs that you have to cover. Right. Yeah, yeah true. All right. I think let's leave this episode there. Thank you so much for being here and getting in deep with Boozer. This has been a really fun conversation. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out. Weaver out.